Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Church, we serve an undefeatable sea-splitting king. I know that there's anxiety going around at the moment with uh, some of these new complications <laughs> that we've encountered. But know that he is sovereignly over con- in control of this. God knows what is going on. This isn't a surprise to him. And his peace and his grace is in this season for you if you tap into him. That connection, that intimacy, that heartfelt reaching out for God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, particularly now, more than ever. Father, I pray for everyone in the church, for those that are seated here, for those that are watching online, that you would presence yourself with them, that they would know they would know your nearness, they would know your voice, they would know the stillness that comes from resting in your presence. They would know the value that they have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Leonie. Beautiful. Can we, can we give it up for Leonie and for Tyler and Jordan too? Um, hello to everybody who's watching us online this morning. It's great to have you with us and we certainly hope you're finding rest and peace in your homes as you uh, join us virtually. Uh, it was good with the Knights. They won 38-0 last night. Now, let me tell you, wasn't it, wasn't it kind? In fact, wasn't it responsible of the Cowboys to uh, not come within 1.5 metres of any of our players? I thought that was... For the entirety of the match, it was quite a beautiful thing to see. Um, Anyway, we are starting a series on identity. We want to speak into who you are in Christ and how you can walk that out and live that out in your day-to-day life. And as a young child, my mother sat me down and she told me that I could become anyone that I wanted to be. And it turns out the Australian Federal Police call that identity theft and I'm now on a good behaviour bond. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis 27. We'll get to it in a bit. There's a fair chunk that I want to go through uh, on that soon. If you're watching A Current Affair on Channel 9 earlier in June, they ran a story. Have you seen those little get-to-know-you quizzes on Facebook? They're kind of cute and they get you to ask a series, they get you to answer a series of personal questions. Uh, things like, what's your favourite sports team? What was the name of your first pet? What was your mother's maiden name? What was the name of the street you grew up? Hackers are using this information to actually build a profile of you and break into your online accounts. And they are using it to build an identity of you outside of your knowledge, outside of your control based on information that you have surrendered innocently out there in the online world. Because some of these things, like the name of your first pet, the street that you grew up on, a lot of people use these as their passwords or their hints to the passwords or the responses to security questions in your online banking accounts. And the Australian Consumer and Competition Commission, the ACCC, received four significant reports over the last month of June, just gone, of four Australians scammed out of thousands by these cute little Facebook questions that we innocently surrender our information to. In fact, if we can go to the next slide, Australian Institute of Criminology, a federal government agency, says this, every 79 seconds, an Australian's identity is stolen. The economic impact of identity crime exceeds $2 billion 
dollars. One in four Australians have been a victim of identity crime. I've, I've been a victim of identity theft. Someone in Holland bought $1,200 worth of audio equipment on my credit card, uh, took it to the cops. When they resolved it and got it back with the exchange rate, I actually made $1,230 back. So sometimes, yeah, there you go. Sometimes crime does pay. Um, uh, Institute of Criminology PricewaterhouseCoopers study estimates the average identity theft case in Australia costs $34,000. And I can tell you, for, for a matter of fact, people in this church have had multiple thousands taken in identity theft-related crime this year. It's real. And frighteningly, this identity theft or the, the, the thieving of who we are for other uses happens without us even knowing it. And often when we do become aware, it's too late. The damage has been done. There's a massive case of identity theft in the Bible as well with Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is talking to his mother, Rebecca, and we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 27, verses 8 to 29 in the message. It's a fair chunk, so stick with me. Here we go, Rebecca speaking. Now, my son, listen to me. Do what I tell you. Go to the flock and get me two young goats. Pick the best, I'll prepare them into a hearty meal, the kind your father loves. Then you'll take it to your father, he'll eat and bless you before he dies. But mum, Jacob said, my brother Esau is a hairy bloke. And I have smooth, baby, soft skin. What happens if my father touches me? He'll think I'm playing games with him and he'll bring down a curse on me instead of a blessing. If it comes to that, said his mother, I'll take the curse on myself. Now just do what I say. Go and get the goats. So he went and got them, brought them to his mother, and she cooked a hearty meal the kind his father loved so much. Rebecca took the dress-up clothes of her oldest son, Esau, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She took the goat skins and covered his hands and smooth nape of his neck. Then she placed the hearty meal she'd fixed and fresh bread she'd baked into the hands of her son Jacob. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, he said, which son are you? Jacob answered his father, I'm your firstborn, Esau. I did what you told me. Come now, sit up, eat of my game so that you can give me your personal blessing. And Isaac said, So soon? How did you get it so quickly? Because your God cleared the way for me. And Isaac said, come close, son, let me touch you. Are you really my son Esau? So Jacob moved close to his father Isaac. Isaac felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy, just like his brother Esau's. But as he was about to bless him, he pressed him. You sure? Is that really you? Is that you, Esau? Yeah, it's, it's me. Isaac said, bring the food so I can eat of my son's game and give you my personal blessing. Jacob brought it to him, he ate, and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then Isaac said, come close, son, and kiss me. He came close and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes. Finally, he blessed him. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the open country, blessed by God. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's bounty of grain and wine. May people serve you and nations honour you. You will master your brothers and your mother's sons will honour you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. You don't need computers and a fake passport and an ATM skimmer to steal someone's identity. You need a steaming hot bowl of camel stew and a goatskin bodysuit and you're set for life. Jacob stole Esau's identity and by doing that he got the family blessing, he got the family headship and he got a significant hefty inheritance. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel cheated out of some things, 
out of a full life, out of a clean bill of health, out of happy relationships, out of a loving marriage, out of an abundant existence. Can I tell you, the God that we know and love is in the business of redeeming things and in the business of redeeming identities and making you who you have always been intended to be in him. Our identities are continually under threat, so we need to be continually identifying ourselves according to God's word. I meet a lot of people who are going through things, going through troubles, going through complications, and for some of them, it all stems out of being confused about who they really are in here because they don't know their identity. What, what is your identity? It's, 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 a, it's a stable understanding of self. It's who you really think you are fundamentally. And your identity is one of the most important assets you carry around with you in the world. Because if you don't know who you are, there is a significant risk that you'll become who everybody else tells you that you are. I've done that. Our social circles, the people that we hang out with, the interactions that we take part in play a more significant role in our identity formation than many of us realise. Let me introduce you to this guy here, Charles Horton Cooley a very famous American sociologist. He talks about our self-concept not actually coming from being in solitude, but by coming through social settings. That we develop this idea of our identity by watching how other people react to the different versions of ourselves that we put out there. And that we build our concept of self or our identity by seeing how we're perceived by other people. Cooley notes that individuals base their sense of self on how they believe other people view them. If we can go to the quote, I am not what I think I am, and I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. I am shaping myself on what I think you think of me. And I think he's got it. I think there's truth in that as to how we respond and how we react. Um, Cooley calls this concept the looking glass self, that we use social interaction like a, a mirror to see who we really are, that I look at you guys as a mirror to figure out who I am based on how you respond to me. And one of the problems we're seeing today, particularly through COVID, is that we're more and more disconnected from face to face communities. We're not interacting as much. Our relationships have thinned out and our identities now are more fragile than ever. It's rife. And then you look at social media that makes this thing infinitely more complex. Instagram and Facebook, look, they're wonderful because we can connect with people in ways we haven't imagined, but suddenly there is this um, significant increase in the amount of mirrors that we're looking at. And it's with us. You are carrying that mirror around in your pocket right now. And we reinforce our identity based on what we are seeing there. And my prayers are with the future generation who are locked into their phones and basing their sense of self on how many likes they're getting, on how many laughs they get for the jokes they put up there and the signals that they're getting back on social media. Because the danger is you can choose how you present yourself online. I do. I'm a professional government representative on LinkedIn. I'm a sarcastic try-hard comedian on Facebook. I'm a proud dad, a loving family man and a church bloke on Instagram. And I look at it every day to make sure I'm getting consistent validation from many of you. Some of my origin jokes didn't go down too well and I took it as a personal affront. (laughs) Anyway, here's the issue that it raises. Young people, I'm even seeing it 
in kids of single-digit ages are now addicted to remaining in digital spaces because that's where they get their identity from and that's what we all want. And they're creating these online identities, often at the cost of developing real-world friendships. Let's have a look at Daniel. In Daniel, in chapter 1, if you're reading it, there's too much to go through today, but you'll see King Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem, exiled all of God's people into Babylon. Uh, History tells us that Daniel, at the time, was about 15 years old. So King Nebuchadnezzar assigned him a teacher called Ashpenaz, to shape Daniel into all things Babylon, to move from a Hebrew background and education to a Babylonian background and education. Ashpenaz took Daniel and three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, to a foreign land, away from the things that built their identities, their familiar surroundings and their families, and he taught them a new language, new food, new clothes, new culture, new behaviours. And more than just educating Dan and his mates, they were changing their identities. The big issue is that they changed their names. In Hebrew culture, you've probably heard me preach about this before, your name is very significant. It identifies who you are. The name you were given as a Hebrew child meant something heavy. So the Babylonians undermined the names of these guys by changing their names. If we can go to the next slide, you'll recognise some of these names. They turned Daniel's name into Belteshazzar, Balak, a Babylonian god, protects. They turned Hananiah's name, God is gracious, into Shadrach, who follows a coup. They turned Mishael's name into Meshach, he is Babylon's deity, and Azariah into Abednego, he is like Nago, who was a god of the time. You know those last three. They're mentioned in the Bible under their Babylonian names. And by changing their names, the Babylonians removed any indication that these young guys followed the Hebraic God. Changing their names removed their history and removed their identities. Who's tried to change your name? What are the business cards you are carrying around right now? Maybe um, I'm single, I'm unmarried, I'm an underachiever. Uh, I'm retired now, so my contributions have fallen off. My marriage has failed. I lost my job, my business collapsed. I'm overweight, I'm a nerd, I'm unlovable. What are the names that you are carrying around that were never intended to be who you are and that society and the world that is trying to change you and to try to separate you from God is having an effect? Me, I I grew up in a broken home, you know my story. I was a poor kid, I was the only poor kid in a very rich private Christian school. Um, single parent, very dysfunctional and I was bullied relentlessly because of it because I couldn't match up in the circumstances of my peers. They found out in early high school that my mother was a smoker and so for the next three years they said, pretty soon, mate, you're going to be an orphan and that was my name for the start of high school and I carried it for a decade afterwards Now, it broke my mum too, and she quit smoking based on what she saw, but the after-effects and the name and the changed identity stayed with me for years. And maybe there's, I don't know, maybe you've got a bully in your life, maybe you've got an authority in the workplace that's speaking stuff over you, maybe you've got an ex, maybe there are people in your family, or maybe even yourself. You are reinforcing these names 
that are from the pit and are not yours to carry anymore. Romans 1 talks about how there were people who traded the truth for a lie and lived accordingly. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What is in your heart? What do you think about yourself? What is the identity you are carrying around? I've spoken with many of you and you have shared beautifully and intimately the pain that is in your hearts and I can see it holding you and it shouldn't. Every culture gives you an identity formation process. Every culture that you step into says, this is how you determine who you are here and your self-worth and your value here. Every culture pushes that identity formation process on you. Even church culture, even Macquarie culture. So be careful. You'll get the pressure of identity through your work, through your titles, through your pursuit of success. Uh, Look, don't get me wrong, making money, making a living is important, but in our modern culture, your work, your titles, your wealth can often become your identity. You don't mix up the who and the do. You may say, I'm a plumber, I'm a uni student, I'm a mum, but that's not what you are. That's what you do. In church world, here we go, card on the table here, in church world we anoint this thing to make it sound more holy. I'm a preacher, I run a small group, I'm a pastor, I'm a youth leader. Again, that's what you do. What you do is important but it needs to flow out of who you are, not be who you are. Otherwise it's all cart before the horse. Um, I want to attack this further. Let 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 me get some help from one of my heroes. It's this guy here, Tim Keller. Uh, previously the senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. I need to put, a, I need to put my hand up here. I'm an absolute Tim Keller fanboy. Oh, he's just fantastic. The Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. I sometimes build my identity on this thing. On being a communicator, on being a preacher, on being a minister. But that's not who I am and that is actually not how God sees me. He sees me as a son and I have the privilege of serving in this capacity. Some more from Keller. Until Christ comes in and really changes us, our identity factors operate on the basis of difference. This is going to get uncomfortable. You're not proud of your success. You're not proud of having money. You're proud of the difference. You're proud of having more than other people. Let me read you this illustration from Tim. You're not really proud of being a great violinist. You're proud of being a better violinist than others. So if you're the best violinist in your little town in Texas, you feel good about yourself. Why? Because you're the best violinist in Texas. But then you move to New York, and as soon as you get out at the train station... The homeless violinist playing in the stairwell of the station is playing better than you could ever do and suddenly you feel terrible because your identity is based on the difference. I only feel good about myself if I'm better than everyone else around me or the majority of people around me. I'll concede that. 
That's shallow, Craig. But in Jesus, there's no pecking order. There's no ranking in him. We are all equal. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all in need of his grace. And the good news is that in grace, we find in Jesus, he is the only pattern of thinking that gives us a totally different identity to what the world gives us. And in Jesus, your identity is received, not achieved. Now, other systems will tell you, if you follow the rules, if you perform, then you'll make it and you'll be accepted. But Christianity says, no, I'm accepted in God, therefore I respond. Because if our identity is in our work or our achievements or our titles or our violin playing or our preaching, then success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. And the reality is we are imperfect people clinging to a perfect Christ and we are being perfected by the Spirit. Let's have a read of Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world wants you to conform. The world is trying to cut its pattern out in you. It's trying to tell you its truth about God, about church, about love, about relationships, about money, about sex about marriage, about parenting, about politics. And Paul says, don't conform any longer to that. Be transformed by renewing your mind, allowing the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God to replace what the world screams at you. Allowing the Holy Spirit to be the mirror that you are looking in to validate your identity and who you are. If we jump back to Daniel, Belteshazzar in Babylon... His actual identity was unshakable because in the word we read that he had a regular encounter with God three times a day. He opened himself up to God three times a day so that God could speak truth into him about who he was. He had regular daily encounters with God through prayer and the word. Now, I'm not saying you have to crack open your Bible three times a day, but can I challenge you? And let me be quite confronting. If Sunday is the only time you interact with biblical truth, you're in danger. If the half hour we have with you, 52 weeks a year, is the only God-based input you are having, there's a big risk that there's not enough truth getting into your head. There's not enough um, perspective, there's not enough reflection of the mirror of who you really are in him. And also and I'll put myself down a bit here, if you're depending on church for that, if you're depending on us delivering the word for the revelation of who you are, you're getting it second-hand from mugs like me. You need fresh manner. You need to go to the word for yourself. Daily, opening yourself up to God. Daniel had daily pressure to change who he was. So he daily went to God. It ended up shaping his identity so much he became the third most powerful person in the country and changed the nation because of the identity that God kept reminding him of. Like Daniel, when I talk with God and I soak in the word, it sifts out the other voices. It sifts out the other words. It sifts out the other names. It removes the echoes of people who are trying to change me. Listen, let's talk about renewing your mind. God doesn't erase your brain and start again. He just progressively renews you from the inside out.
Can I pray for you? God, we surrender to you. We ask that you would show us how to have our minds renewed in you. We ask that you would open us up to your word, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, just gently prompt, gently poke us, that we would be drawn to your presence, drawn to your word, drawn to your people, drawn to your church, and find out who we are in you. There are a chorus of voices in our heads, God. Circumstances, people, pressure, anxieties, telling us that we are unworthy, unlovable, useless. But you call us forward. And even to our dying day, God, you still speak into our potential. And I pray that we would be attuned to that and that we would shape ourselves around the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's frightening to have your identity stolen. When 1,200 of my hard-earned dollars was nicked off by some bloke in the Netherlands buying a stereo system, I was terrified. I'd never encountered anything like that before and I was quite young. 1,200 bucks was a significant amount of money for me. All the things I'd worked for were being used and spent by somebody else. But with respect to the identity we have in Christ, there's no reason to be afraid. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin, that was God's identity, Jesus' identity, to become sin, re-identify, so that we might have the righteousness of God, our new identity. There's some other people I want to pray for this morning. Imagine someone getting their hands on your identity. You've done the Facebook quiz. You've told everyone that the name of your first dog was Fluffy. You've told your mother's maiden name and all that sort of jazz. And suddenly they break into your spiritual identity. This person accesses your spiritual bank account. But rather than taking things, they pay off all your debt. They take all your debt and place it in their account and deposit infinite kindness, goodness and blessing into your account instead. From a spiritual point of view, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took, he took our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion. He took our wrongdoing and he exchanged it for his perfection. Or as we read in the scripture, the righteousness, the rightness of God. That is ours and it is accessible to you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old, open bracket, identity has gone and the new identity has come. You can be renewed through Jesus Christ sitting in your seat this morning. You can access the, the, the debt-destroying freedom that only he can offer by placing your trust in him and taking the identity that he has for you. He went to the cross. He took our sin and our brokenness, our shame, so that we could have a new name. You are clean, you are holy, you are righteous, and a new future. And if for you this morning you would like to take on that new identity, if you would like to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, someone who surrendered who they are into his hands, I want to pray for you. And I'd ask you to join me. I'm not going to string this out. If you're online, 
you'll be able to raise your hand in the comments, put a comment there or request prayer and one of our team will get in touch with you. But if that's you, I'm going to pray. I'd ask you to pray with me in your heart. And then afterwards, come and say hello to myself, Ivan and Donna. We'd love to hand you a Bible and we'd love to help you in your first steps as a Christian in this journey of renewing your mind and figuring out who you are in God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for accruing this debt. Today I turn around and I choose to follow you. I choose to take on what you say about me. I am who you say I am. And I thank you for coming into my life. I ask God that you would change me from the inside out, renew me and help me to follow you as my saviour, as my Lord, as my friend. Today, God, I identify as your child and I identify you as my God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that was you, if that's a prayer that you took into your own heart, please come and see one of us. We'd love to help you and pray for you further. Thank you, Macquarie. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.